Okay, well, last few weeks we had covered um, the subject of God's law, and one way of summarizing that would be to ask the question or to wonder, uh, how is God's law, how does it continue throughout history, and where, does, where are we situated relative to God's law as Christians? And so we started in the garden and said God's moral law is, is present even there, and we said it remains even after the fall. God's law is still the, the standard of righteousness and truth. And then even as we are Christians in Christ, we say Christ upheld the law, and our affections are bound to that law which Christ lived out. And so in Christ, our, our duty towards the law, though it is not for meriting or, or earning eternal life, our, our duty towards the law remains and even is, is heightened in Christ because our hearts are, are um, if in love with righteousness and truth because that is the, the, the righteousness and truth which Christ lived out. So that picture was sort of a picture of the law. And if we want to move the next topic as it would be given to us in the, in the Baptist Confession is a, is a chapter that's actually unique to the Baptist Confession. It's not in the, the Westminster Confession. But it asks a similar question really about the gospel. Where does, how does the gospel fit in from sort of beginning to end? And how, is, how are we to think about the, um, the extent of the gospel going out to all nations? Because as we think about it, not all nations seem to have received the gospel at the same time or in the same way or with the same effect. And um, so it might seem sort of like a, a peculiar topic. I know even for myself, reading through it, I was scratching my head a little bit thinking, man, this, this language is very difficult and knowing what is trying to be said here is tough. So I hope that you'll forgive me if we are um, quite brief really this morning in trying to exalt in a few things. But I, I thought I'd prompt us by asking the question, um, why would it be necessary to put after, after the, the section on law something about, about the extent and grace of the gospel in the world? And I think the question really was driving at a particular error of its day. In that time, the, um, as I understand it, and again, this is very, very brief research, so forgive me, but at that time, the early beginning of, of deism was coming into, into view, where God, the, the common analogy is God is a, is a watchmaker. He winds up the watch and sets it and walks away. And so really all we have is the natural world. There is a God. He did create. But beyond that, we have the natural world. That's it. And all of humanity is really about the natural things. And so it's sort of a way, um, a philosophical way of trying to give a head nod to, yes, there's a creator, but really man can be autonomous in this world. And ultimately, you know, that's going to lead to just blatant atheism. We don't believe there is a God. But even now, if deism is not necessarily in the exact form what we might encounter, we encounter similar things in our lives. So think of um, uh, the term would be omniism, right? It's very common. All religions lead to this. It could be very common for us to hear. And so sometimes people, when thinking about all of the world religions and all the people, they would think, well, they don't, they don't worship the gospel, but they're still, they're good, upright people, and they live by the book, or they have their religion. And really, all of these things, if you, if you look at it, you can say, maybe that gives witness to the fact that there's something in nature which can kind of provoke people to true religion, and all religions sort of pointing at the same thing, and you can, and you, ultimately, it's, it's actually a very similar thing. It says, we can approach God by what we can reason through what the natural world has given, and through that, all paths can kind of lead to some true religion apart from supernatural revelation. 
And so the, the focus this morning is really just to kind of pin down and say, no, that there are things given in nature. In fact, even God's law is part of that. Romans says what the things that may be known about God are plain, his divine power and attributes. So we are morally culpable to God just by being created. But the, the new life that comes with the gospel is something that comes by the preaching of the word. It comes not just by natural revelation of what you can observe about gravity and about sticks and twigs and about philosophy, but it, it comes by a supernatural revelation of God. That is, um, through his word, through those who are preaching it. And that's really all that this chapter is trying to say, is that you can't, you can't relegate the gospel merely to something that comes by man's own intellect, by man's own achievements, or um, something that you can get by, by nature. The gospel and the grace that comes must come by God's word. It must come by the preaching of the word, and it must come by the Holy Spirit. Um, so... <laughs> With that said, let's just look at, we're just going to look at four points, those four points. If you're um, interested at all, do follow the four paragraphs of that confession. Um, but we're just going to look at those four points, and if this Sunday school lecture is very short, it will be very short, and we, I hope it will be helpful. Um, so the first question really just comes down to, um, can we come to God through our own efforts or achievements? And I think the question is easily answered among this group. We've, uh, if we've not hit this point, we've not hit any point, and that is the path to God is not open anymore merely by works of man. If, to put it in theological terms, right, God gave to Adam a, a certain covenant or arrangement where he said there was, there was blessing in living in obedience to God, but there was cursing if he took of the tree and ate, and Adam took of the tree and ate, and according to Romans, in Adam all have died, and there is, no, there is no righteousness now to be found by us living out, um, as it were, in terms of um, achieving, looking for merit in what we do. And so that becomes sort of the, the foundation for asking this question. Is it possible to reach God or to obtain sort of enlightened understanding merely by nature? Can we get to a state of grace by observing the natural world? Um, is it appropriate for me to say, oh, I love God, I, I feel closest to God when I'm in my deer stand in the woods or when I'm out away from people um, and I just can kind of reflect in my own head and, and that's when I'm closest to God and, and ultimately God will, um, you know, love me because I, I enjoy those quiet spaces with him. Well, no, we say you, you need the gospel and you need it proclaimed and you need the Holy Spirit to work and the revelation of scripture there. So we could go to Genesis 3.15, though, and say, as soon as that option was closed, God did not leave man without promise of blessing. Everyone should know Genesis 3.15, right, where God promises to send the one who will crush the serpent's head by the seed of the woman. And so if you're asking, okay, when does the gospel start? We want to be very clear. The gospel is given as soon as man has failed to um, reach life or eternity through his own works the gospel promise is then provided. So God has not left man without, um, without witness. And in, in the Christian understanding of um, all of the world, really, in humanity, if, if all mankind has descended from Adam, all men and all cultures in some way have been given the opportunity of the gospel and that promise, though certainly we know that there are abundance of, of cultures where that promise is completely extinguished had it not been for the gospel coming 
particularly in the person of Jesus Christ and the proclamation that was given therein. Um, but that's, then that's our second point. So if, if we were to look at, um, at the gospel itself, we'll say, okay, if the gospel is present there, we also want to kind of pin our second point and say, the gospel cannot be, made, cannot be known apart from preaching of the word. Um, where would you go if someone asked, can I, can I get um, good news or gospel? Can I, um, can I attain new life purely by, um, you know, by other means, maybe other religions, maybe other names, maybe natural um, pursuits? Yep. Go ahead. You want to read that for us, brother? If you're there. Not the whole thing. Uh, probably uh, like 14 to 17, somewhere in there. Yeah. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now I'm going to act a little bit. Okay, well, that's how, that's how faith comes for, for Christians, but what about other faiths? Maybe, um, maybe other faiths can come by other ways, and they ultimately lead to the same place. Maybe someone in our, in our family gatherings is going to bring that up. How would, how would we um, venture to interact with that claim? Maybe there's life in another, another name or another method, yeah. Ryan. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Amen. My mind also thinks of uh, Acts, Acts 4.12. Um, for there is no other name given among men whereby which we must be saved. Um, let me see if I can say that more specifically if I can turn there. Acts is actually if you're ever wondering about just apologetics and how to approach um, culture or people with other views just, just study the way the apostles bring the gospel through Acts and it's, it's fascinating as they, as they go to each town and interact with one um, objection or another. Um, in Acts 4 particularly they're interacting with the Jews which is interesting um, in verse 12 um, so this is Peter still preaching before the council I'll start in verse 11 he says this Jesus is the stone which the builders which that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and what I think is particularly fascinating about this is this is not just Peter going to a Gentile culture or a pagan culture and saying, well, no, your name, like Buddha or Allah, th there's no hope in that name. This is Peter going to the Jewish council, those who would put their hope in Yahweh and in the law of Moses, and they're saying not even Modus, Moses in Judaism is life without the name of Christ. There is no other name. So you could think about in the spectrum of world religions, right? People would say, well, there, there's really no other religion so close to Christianity as Judaism, right? 
he would, we could hear someone saying that, and Peter is saying here, not even Judaism leads to life without the name of Christ. Yeah, go. That's, that's great, and I, you made such a good transition, I'll just reverse the order here, because our, our last point, but let's make it our next point, is that this is not just something that can be made known purely as rational knowledge. It has to come by the Holy Spirit. They're talking about conversion brings life, right? So exactly what you're saying, people will say, well, I believe in Jesus, but the question is, has Jesus regenerated your heart so as to trust in him, so as to um, make you understand that you need him as a sinner, not merely that he is uh, in some sort of cultural way um, or some sort of just, just name that um, is to you uh, a comfort ab- ab- abstracted from the realities of sin and of hell and of eternal life. Um, and so we, we want to emphasize that as well. Um, if you want to, so you already gave us one, maybe some other passages you can think of if someone um, was to object to the need for the Holy Spirit or um, perhaps if you were just wanting to show someone this is why you must have the Holy Spirit, what, where, where would you take them? This is why Christ must work a work in your heart to have salvation. A lot of guys Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I, that would probably be where my mind goes first, because here's, here's someone who's seeking, Nicodemus, coming to him at night, right? He's clearly still struggling with fear of man. He, doesn't, he wants to come to Christ in secret and, and see what's going on here, but Jesus still gives him warning. Look, if you think you're going to be able to come to Christ merely by intellectual steps that are going to lead to some sort of conclusion, or you're going to come to Christ based on um, just kind of your your own um, kind of head nod towards a, a cultural religion. Just no, the, the flesh, what you grew up with, or your mind, your intellect, is, is not helpful, right? There's no help, but um, you must be born again. Um, any other places come to mind? I think there's a, probably a whole host of them. I, really, anywhere you could go that talks about regeneration, um, I think Ephesians 1 is probably a good place to summarize what does new birth look like. So Ephesians 1 um, reads something like this. Um, 
Paul here describing what was done to these, to these Christians. And he says, um, and he says, I do not cease to give thanks to you, starting in verse 16, remembering, that, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what are the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Notice, all three of those things are not things you're going to find buried in some scientific textbook or under some, um, you know, under some particular uh, pursuit of sciences, the biology or, or physics or anything. To know what is the hope of your calling, to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance or the immeasurable greatness of his power, these things, to, not just power, right, because divine power can be seen in creation, but of his power toward us who believe, his power to, to redeem, those things must be made known by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit through preaching the gospel. Um, okay, so then, then the last thing, uh, like I said, there's a little bit out of word, but the last thing that the, we might want to think about then is, okay, and actually this, I think, I, even if I had to be honest, I would say this strikes my heart many times, and, and I, if I'm in my own um, thoughts, you can kind of struggle with this. You think, okay, but... What about all the nations that don't have the gospel? Aren't there many, many peoples and cultures that have died without the gospel and, and salvation? And, and what of that? Um, how, how are we to think about that when it comes to the extent of the gospel? Because it would be much easier in my mind to think, well, you know, God just proclaimed the gospel to every single people all at the same time, all had equal opportunity, and therefore all are culpable that way. But the scriptures don't reveal it that way. There's, there's guilt before God because of creation, because of God's law, and that's universal. We, we all are, are doomed under sin. But the gospel, we think, really was carried forth primarily in, in one seed for a large portion of hu- human history, right? There was, it was given to Abraham and to the Jewish people, and they were, they were carrying this promise, particularly um, more than any other culture. And so, what, I, if, if you have a comment, shout it out. I don't want to just ramble. Yeah? I mean, kind of what Matt was saying, you, you're preaching the, the word to us here, so we must go and share it, but how does the gospel finish in the end of Matthew or going to all the world? Yeah. Teaching all nations what I've commanded, making disciples of all nations. Mm. Oh man, good pool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good, because the, the shows us the gospel was never so closed or relegated to just the Jewish people that it was not uh, available in, in some way to, to the people of the world and the nations who were who are hearing of it. Um, but then, not only that, though, particularly now that the gospel fulfillment has come, it is opened up in a way 
far broader and given to all the world in a way that it was not in the first, uh, in the first uh, millennia, right? So I, I think you're, you're leading us to sort of the imperative there, right? Like the, the gospel now needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be um, brought to the ends of the world, and, and that ought to be part of our motivation, even whether we're the family or friends, but to realize, look, they're not, outside of God's work and the Holy Spirit, they are not going to just stumble into the truth and, or you know, li- live some life that's going to eventually lead them to, to salvation, but they must, they must have the gospel preached and proclaimed. But looking at the objection, the objection of like, well, the gospel can't be exclusive because all, those, all the people on the earth were without it. I think it's important to remember that God, God is the author of his good news and he has controlled the, providentially the nations and, and the spread of the gospel in ways that we don't really understand. I, a, a helpful reference that I found for this um, was in Acts 16, Almost, almost flyover country, if you will, a passage that you could overlook because of how brief it is. But um, when thinking about this question, it comes with a particular uh, helpful nature. Paul, in Acts 16, is um, continuing his missionary journey. <clears throat> and Early on, let's see, God wants to bring Paul to Macedonia, right? And um, it says in verse 6 of Acts 16, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mesia, they attained, and it goes on, it goes on. But the whole phrase I'm looking at is the Holy Spirit having forbidden them by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. And that... If you're looking at that, you think, wait a minute, that means the Holy Spirit is leading and directing the proclamation of the gospel to the nations for the times and for the seasons that he would allot for them to come to the gospel? That's very, that's very interesting. And we can think even more recent history, right? Uh, we stand in the, in the wake of the Reformation, and there's a particular full gospel light in, in continental Europe, but... If we look at the nation as it is now, continental Europe is not the center of true Christianity or of, or of the good news. It, much of it is, is a dead shell of Christianity. But where is the gospel going forth now? We think of continents like, like Africa and the church in China that under persecution come to find out there's extensive belief in Christ. Oh, I shouldn't overstate it, but much far beyond what estimations would have thought um, and so God turning the, 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 the what does it say? Um, someone help me with the reference. He turns the will of the kings like, like a river in the palm of his hand, right? And, he, and so providentially, by the Holy Spirit, God is the one that is marching his gospel through time, giving light at appropriate times and appropriate places all for his glory. Um, even the Jewish nation, we could read in, uh, in Romans about how God has brought a hardening to the Jews that the light of the gospel might go to the nations and to make them jealous that the gospel hopefully will someday return and, and, bring, um, and bring life to them. And so ultimately, we, we, we should um, sort of, if you will, we should correct our own thoughts and attitudes as we think, well, isn't God unfair to not bring the gospel to all nations at all times? And we have to say, first, what does the Bible say? The Bible says God is 
redeeming his people, his bride. Not one of his children will be lost. And God is bringing the gospel to the nations as he sees fit, and it is marching beyond. And yet, just like Ryan said, that does not leave us without imperative to go, without imperative to bring the good news. Um, And we can still look back at times when the church had failed to preach the gospel as they ought, to take it to other nations, and and we ought to aim to do better. That's all I have. Thoughts or questions or encouragements? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Maybe not powerful, but that he's not fair to send those to hell who have heard good news. Right. To which I was thinking of Romans 1. Yeah. Which basically says that man has no excuse. But I was also just thinking of, in light of Romans 1, how we can turn that into the Bible the opposite side and see how there are those who are outside of that promised seed who just find themselves holding into God's word somehow and we don't we're not really given particular reason yeah but it seems that there lies within within man a hope to the gospel regardless of location regardless of Yes, I mean, so insofar as the promise, right? So I'm just, I'm just thinking, I'm trying to think about what you're saying there. Are you saying, um, like, inherent in mankind is um, the desire for eternal life and sort of the knowledge of guilt and sin? Or are you saying particularly inherent to mankind is, um, is, a, gospel, is a gospel seed? Yeah. Yeah. Say that, well, they never had a chance, right? That yeah. would be the argument back. They never had a shot. They never yeah. had a chance. And we can say that's not, that's not true. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would, so I would tend to, I, I have to think about what you're saying there, because I, I think we could readily pull examples of, you know, pagan tribes who never heard the gospel, had no gospel proclamation made to them, right? And, and are we to say that they are somehow culpable of the gospel or that they um, could find Christ just through their own sort of natural ways? And I think that that's kind of what we're trying to say is no. Because um, I, I would tend to back up and say, are they without excuse? Well, first off, no one deserves the gospel, right? Like, okay, yeah. 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 Right. 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 Yep. It, 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And I, I think maybe to come along and sort of buttress what you're saying a little bit too, though, is that like you think of, um, okay, so we read last week in Job. Job, the book of Job is probably one of the earliest, if not the earliest, penned, right? And in that book, Job will, will declare in his, in his state of utter, um, really, torment, his great trial, like, I, but I know that my Redeemer lives, right? So there, we ought not to think that the gospel is relegated to um, sort of uh, very precise understandings of doctrine, but understanding that if the gospel was present for Adam and Eve, where God promised to send a redeemer, right, is essentially what it is, then there is, there is hope for those who would know their sinfulness before God and place their hope in in God, right? There was even even um, even in Acts, we run into people who were true believers who had not heard of the fullness of the gospel come through Christ, right? But they understood that there was um, there was a redeemer to come, right? So th- I'm j- all that just to say, the gospel can be a very small seed, um, but it, it it always has faith in a divine revelation of God. Um, the gospel is not is not contained in something uh, created or, or in natural revelation. But I hope I think I'm right on that. I hope, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think I think particularly too. I guess what I would be saying is there's not there there is no reason that any person who hears the gospel could not receive. Yes. yes, 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 yes. I'm tracking with what you're saying. So, yeah. There's good, there's, there's substantial reason to believe the gospel. Yes. No matter where it comes to you, which is why, as I look through the Bible, right. we have these figures who just, it doesn't particularly make sense why they believe what they do. Right, right. Follow. Yeah. And it's like, how does that happen? Right, um, right. Like the Magi. Where does that come right. from? Right. Yeah. Because the Holy Spirit has gone and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Who seems to show incredible faith? I can say that. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Christ has full authority over life. Yeah, yeah. It's like, where does he get that? But it's like, it's not limited, right? Right. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Agree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With the, the question, like, now, like you're saying, the unfairness of it. But in reality, when we read that, we read these truths, and we think of what the God has done for us, it's the unfairness that what Christ, it, it, it truly is unfair what Christ went through on my behalf and that I don't deserve. Right. Maybe think of Titus 3, mm. verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And it was by the washing of regeneration. Yeah, yeah. What's truly unfair is the gospel, right? Because it is grace. No, there is no one, no one on earth that is entitled to salvation. So, 
Yeah, because God is holy, like you said. You brought, you brought us back to Isaiah. That's good. Lord, thank you for these few minutes that we got to marvel at the wonderful good news of the gospel, to even stumble perhaps a little bit in our understanding of your holiness, Lord, but to put our faith in understanding that you are um, holy, we are undeserving of your good news. We thank you for sending your spirit, for proclaiming liberty to the captives. Lord, we were captive to sin and we were blind, but you gave us eyes that we might see. Thank you for this hope in your name. Amen.